have given the option this year to have our donors cover the transaction fee for their gift. How do I show this in QuickBooks? Do I put the initial donation amount as their sponsorship and the fee as online processing fees? Or do I show the entire amount as their donation amount? Thanks for all your help. So the only thing that's confusing about this question is the word sponsorship in the middle. So, okay, so because you have the word donation and you have sponsorship in there too. Those are two different things. Um, In general, if somebody's giving you money, it's a donation. Like what you spend it on is your problem. So, so for example, if you wanted to have a fundraiser that said we we're going to use a fundraiser to pay for the executive director's salary, like you don't bill them for the salary, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Their, their donation is straight up a donation. They're giving you something. They're getting nothing in exchange. Um, and and I would argue that the credit card transaction fee or some sort of processing fee is is not involved in an exchange transaction. Exactly. Nobody's buying a, a transaction fee from you. So 100% of it is their donation. Um, it should go in as 100% is their donation. Basically, you're asking them just to gross it up. So, exactly. so if they're going to give you $100, you're, they're really going to give you $102.90 or right. whatever it is for that transaction fee. And and that's their donation and that is 102 And then on your expense side, that $2.90 turns into a transaction fee from an expense. Um, but that's a totally separate question. So yeah, I, don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host Andy Shurek and Stacy Wedding. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Everything, where Andy Shurek and I do our best to answer all of your questions and anything that's on your mind about nonprofits. I have to tell you, we have some fun here that nobody can see. And I just want you to picture this. There are times that we are just stressed, like all of you feel so many times, or we are just having a bad day. And we come in here and the quirky things we say, we really should have one of those episodes. It's like a bloopers reel oh, or no. like a, right. We're totally not going to have a bloopers oh, God. reel. Or, or a, a reel of what really happens behind the scenes. So you just use your imagination because it's probably all happened. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, with that, with that great picture in your mind, please, we could only make this possible. Um, we only make this possible because of your questions. So send them to us. Follow us on the Facebook page, uh, you know, go to nonprofiteverything.com. Check us out through Anne, who helps make all this possible, uh, Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. But send us your questions. It makes it so much more interesting. Today's episode is sponsored by Brenda J. Stout CPA, a full service accounting firm specializing in nonprofit tax compliance and IRS problem resolution. Find out more at brendastoutcpa.com or check the Nonprofit Everything show notes for contact information. Thank you, Brenda J. Stout CPA. Thank you, Brenda. Recently, I had my performance review, and one of the things a board member wants me to focus on in the coming year is to prepare for my successor. Do you have any advice on how to start this process? Succession planning is so important, and I'm so glad that your organization is thinking about it. Uh, You know, so yes, I think there's a handful of things that at bare minimum need to happen, right? So 
first of all, like I think everyone looks at succession planning like you hear people in the boardroom say, oh, like if you get hit by a bus, right? That's the that's right. the common phrase. Buses and, are dangerous. And, oh, God, they are. Everybody's buses, geez, beware buses. of the bus, right? <laughs> I always like try to make a positive spin and say if you escape to Tahiti or you win the lottery. But like anyways, people relate more to the getting hit by a bus and But I think it's so much more like succession planning. So I'm going to get philosophical for a minute before I like start to try to actually answer this. But I feel like succession planning is so much more than just, oh, this is in case an emergency happens, right? It's about like the stability and sustainability of your organization. And you can't afford not to do it. And it's not just if there's a crisis that happens. It is just the smart thing to do if you are any kind of business and including a nonprofit. So that's sort of my little, you know, soapbox. But I think that, you know, some of the things that boards struggle with, think about it when like an executive director leaves an organization, the board will spend forever coming up with a job description, just a job description. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's more, and here's the thing, the skills piece and like, you know, the um, sort of like job responsibilities piece is the easy part of that job description. But it's like what kind of attributes, traits, qualities, personality does your organization need at this stage of development and where it's moving forward? And that's where I think you as an executive director, if you actually took the time to write your own, like you were filling this position based on what you know the organization needed, what would you write as that job description? I think that is a really helpful tool to have sort of in your toolbox for succession planning because it touches on those intangible qualities that are sometimes the make or break. Like you can find anybody who can meet the checklist of 20 job responsibilities, but are they, what's their leadership style, right? What, what is, what are that, those qualities and attributes? Do you need someone who's more fundraising and externally focused or someone who's more internal. So I think there's a lot there that just that alone could help with that process. Um, I think I would also say, um, gosh, you know, look at your current staff, right? Do you have a staff that you think there's anybody who may be able to take on that role? And, and if so, perhaps it's starting to talk about kind of a grooming plan about, you know, what are their goals? Where are they trying to head? And if it's not them, are there others and other organizations that you think, man, if I were gone tomorrow, this person could really do a good job here. Like creating that list uh, for, for your board and your organization would be invaluable. Uh, I, those are just a few things off the top of my head. What do you think? Yeah, that, I think you're right that most most organizations just don't have, they're not big enough to have sort of, you call it the bench strength, right? To have right. like, like big, big companies will have the CEO and then they will have like four or five mm-hmm. people that are just under that person that are all kind of in the running, right? That you need to make sure that they're, you're grooming them all to potentially take the top job at some point. And nonprofits are never in that situation. The, the, the number of organizations that hire Hire the CEO, hire the executive director from within, from current staff is pretty low. Yeah. Um, it's usually they want to find somebody from from outside, and, and we can talk about why that is. Yes. <laughs> um, there's, there's some interesting reasons, but that wasn't the question. And the the succession planning piece of it, and and I don't know. I always think of succession planning as sort of a two part process. So one of it is really if if somebody leaves, if the ED leaves, and you need to bring somebody into that new position, like what's the how's that going to work? Like what do we do? Um, that's the sort of practical side of it. Yeah. The side of it that's 
and and but that you know one of the reasons that doesn't happen is because that seems like a it's a scenario that you don't necessarily always think about. It's like it's planning for some indeterminate future and creating something in place that's going to fix some problem potentially that's going to happen four or five years from now, right? Yeah. But the other thing that, that succession planning kind of can do is to sort of help identify that second level, that second tier of person in your organization that that what skills would they need in order to move into that role? Because then you're looking at an instead of you're imagining a hypothetical person or comparing it to the current executive director, um, which is what usually happens is like, we want the person that's just like that, exactly. but not as old or whatever. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> please actually, please don't ever say that. Don't, you can, don't. You'll totally yeah. get sued. Um, but like finding a clone basically of the person that, that is leaving the job. And then what you can do is by identifying a, a group of people uh, that may potentially move into that role, even though that never happens, you can look at what their strengths are and then provide performance plans for them to say, like, you're you're really great at these four things. If if you're going to get an executive job, here's the other things that you need to be good at. Not saying that you're going to get my job when I leave, but if you're going to get a job that's, you know, the CEO job or an executive director job at a different organization, these are the other skills that you're going to need to have in place. And, and that's always a good thing because then you're making the finance person learn fundraising. You're making the fundraising person learn programs. Right. You're making the programs person learn fundraising. And the, I mean, and that's, that, that's always a good thing is getting that sort of cross training and figuring out what, what skills you think those, these people, actual humans need to do your job is going to get you 80% of the way there. And then it's not some exercise in like, what if it's an yeah. exercise in actually developing your current staff. Yeah. Which is amazing. And that takes whether you, a succession plan needs to happen or not, right. You're taking the organization to a whole new level. So it's, it's an extra benefit. And I think if you've identified the right people who are eager to learn and maybe get out of their comfort zone and try some different things, it's, it's just invaluable on so many levels. Uh, I also think that one of the things I see so much with succession planning. So you, how many times do you see an executive director who leaves a position and several key relationships go with them? And I think that is something that needs to be addressed. That happens sometimes and there's no avoiding it, but the more you can sort of have an organization that's built. So it's not all based on one person having those relationships. And maybe that executive director is bringing in a staff member or a board member or whomever to certain meetings. So it's not, so, so the relationship starts to become with the organization, um, you know, and, and several people in an organization rather than just the lead, because that, that destroys organizations when, you know, they lose a big funder because the executive director left and the funder says, yeah, I really did that just because I believed in that person's leadership. And now I, I feel insecure. Yeah. Especially in smaller towns, right. Where you've got, you've got the you know, the, a CEO of an organization like personally knows a bunch of people in the community and and they are that person's biggest fans and they're on the board because they were personally asked and they're doing their friend a favor. And then that the so the direct the direct connection, you're right, is with the individual and not with the organization and thinking about like what, you know, what, what kinds of things you need to do to to make sure that that person is connected to the organization yeah. or in the opposite scenario that like, that's good that when you leave, you're taking this irritating board member with you, right? Because they're not <laughs> invested in the organization. Yeah. They're just, they just agree with everything you say. That's true. Right. So, so yeah, I, I think you need to look at the individual scenario and figure out, you know, if it's a big funder, if there's, you know, if there's a relationship with a program manager at a foundation that provides a ton of funding, absolutely make uh, sure that yes. they're into the organization. Yes. And I think on a very practical, just to kind of wrap up, this is super practical and probably the easiest part of this process is the nuts and bolts of like basic how you get through a day. So there's an executive director I know who 
ended up having to take some extended leave um, for some personal reasons away from the organization and the staff, you know, it was a small staff and they were, they really struggled. They didn't maybe know the passcodes or how to process payroll or how to keep the organization going. And that wasn't a, you know, a long-term, that was just a temporary thing, but the the, the staff to some degree and the board were a little bit um, crippled because they, that there wasn't some of that stuff that was already in place or written down. What is, what's the passcode? What's this, who's the vendor we use for that? How do we process payroll? Whatever, whatever those things are. So I also think that is just kind of a, the easy, the easy piece of this, but important as well. I have a corporate sponsor asking why we didn't apply for support for our major event this year. We had another similar type business provide a much larger sponsorship with no follow-up paper paperwork required. The first business required post-event reporting, forms, income figures, copies of marketing pieces showing their logo, photos of their banner at the event, etc. And it seemed a bit excessive for the amount we received in the past. We're asking the second business to sponsor another event we have coming up in December instead. I've let them know this, but they still want to know why we didn't apply for the major event. They can obviously see the other business as a major sponsor on our website. What should I tell them? So I think it's pretty straightforward and I would love your thoughts, Andy. Like, I think it's about telling them the truth. So what? I know you're like, (laughs) are you crazy? But, But here's the thing. Okay. So maybe it's just me these days wanting to sort of help funders become a little more empathetic or informed. But it sounds like there's a whole lot of hoops, right, that your original corporate sponsor put you through. And I don't know what dollar amount we're talking here, but at the end of the day, it was a cost savings, like as far as your time that you'd have to put into it. So you could very easily say, gosh, we have a committee that looks and evaluates the best match, you know, for, you know, to to save us money and time and to figure out, you know, approaches that, that, you know, we need to go after based on how much time we have available and what makes sense. So we thought given some of, you know, your requirements that we honestly, we didn't have the time to give to that, like we have in years past. So we had to go with a sponsor that, that didn't require as much of that. So I think it's like framing it as a cost savings, not, you know, like a personal, we chose them over you. And and it's a cost savings because there's less documenting and accounting. I think, that's the way I would approach it because I also would hope that, you know, my hope would be maybe the sponsor and maybe this is idealistic, Andy, but like that the sponsor might say, oh, wow, we never thought about how much we're asking of them. Maybe we need to reframe it. We actually really want to be a corporate sponsor for that because we want our name on that. And perhaps we are really asking for too much. So um, it can give them an opportunity to reflect too if if they're open to that. Yeah, the, the- I, I think it's personally, it's a really good problem to have. First of all, is that you've got multiple corporate sponsors that are sort of vying yeah, for top billing cool. at your event. That's a good thing. The, uh, the thing that I've encountered a bunch of times is that sometimes nonprofits and corporate organizations, corporate philanthropy organizations, um, they have trouble having honest conversations um, so, and, and events or and event sponsorships are a big piece of this because kind of sort of the typical scenario is, the committee puts together the sponsorship package. They make up a bunch of these benefits. Um, there's one, I think we, we joked about it a couple of years ago, where the 
the value of the benefits was actually way more than the sponsorship amount. And so it's like, you're saying that like our mission is worthless because we're just basically selling you this garbage. Um, And that, so the, the, they create the sponsorship package. They send the sponsorship package to the corporation. The corporation looks at it and goes, okay, that seems, I guess we can do that. We want to work with that organization. So they'll send a check for what, $10,000, $50,000, whatever it is. And then they get those benefits in exchange. Um, at no point was there ever a conversation between the nonprofit and the company. So yeah. they, they didn't ever sit down and talk and say, hey, we've got this event. What do you guys want? What can we do? What would be cool for you? You know what would be cool for us? And like coming up with like this sort of honest conversation right. about what the best scenario is for right. everybody. Because maybe, maybe the reason that they're asking for copies of marketing pieces showing their logo, a photo of their banner at the event is because at some point in your sponsorship package, in the history in the history of your sponsorship package, you said that that was something that you were going to provide. And there's some jerk in accounting at the company that's like, I can't sign off on this unless we see all of these things, right? Yeah. So like, I would say, I mean, it's exactly what you said at the beginning is like, have an honest, you know, be honest and have a truthful conversation about like, here's, Here's the thing is that we've got this event and we love you guys being sponsors and we want you to be sponsors more. Um, but, you know, we're not feeling super, you know, we, these other people also want to be sponsors and, you know, we'd love for you to both be sponsors. So how do we make that work, you know, and just be super upfront and honest about it. Cause at the end of the day, you don't want to make anybody mad, no. especially if it's two companies that are kind of doing the same exactly. thing. Like it's, it's two Similar banks. I mean, if it's two banks, yeah, fleece them. But exactly. if it's, <laughs> but if it's somebody else, right. You know, figure out like what, 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 could, what can we do? What would really be meaningful to your marketing and PR team, which is where all of this benefit exactly. is going to accrue or your, 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 your employees, if it's a really fun event and your employees like to go, you know, maybe instead of all of this marketing garbage, we just send you tickets. But- I really like, though, what you're suggesting, because I think it's the difference between, you know, the communication I was suggesting they have is after the fact, it's a little more reactive to the situation. Right. I mean, and certainly that I think should still happen because this is an issue for them right now. But thinking how they move forward with corporate sponsors, you bring up a great point. Maybe it's sitting down at the beginning and really figuring out a win-win solution for both people instead of, right, coming up with this laundry list of what you think the corporation needs that they actually perhaps could care less about. So um, I love that, like taking it from being reactive when a situation like this happens to a little more proactive on the front end. special I need to know about receiving a donated car on behalf of someone in need. It's going directly from the giver to the receiver. We are merely coordinating the transaction. However, the giver is now talking as though he wants to have it donated to our organization in order to get a tax benefit. Oh, I hope the sirens went off. (laughs) (laughs) Red flags. (laughs) I hope that whoever pushed the panic button pushed the panic button. Yeah, that's sticky territory. So so you've got a couple of, they're like two stacked challenges here, and you're going to want to deal with both of them separately. So, so you can get a donation. You can, I could donate a car to a nonprofit and I can get a tax deduction for the fair market value of the car. Now the challenge is figuring out what the fair market value of the car is. The nonprofit can't tell you that. The, the, they can give you some hints. If the car is sold at auction, for example, you can say that's the fair market value of the car because that's what someone paid for it. Um, at the end of the day, the nonprofit doesn't want to be on the hook for being an appraiser. 
right? They because Absolutely not. because yeah. you know there's a there's a perverse incentive that yes. the nonprofit may want to in a you know a naughty one is going to want to juice its revenues by saying yeah thank you for that 1977 you know Chevy Nova right. it was worth a million dollars right yeah. so the I mean maybe there's one that's worth a million dollars I don't know the um the so, in gold yeah exactly the 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 donor is going to want to have the highest possible tax deduction. And the IRS is just going to sort of frown on that. So, so you really, you want to put all of the risk back on the donor as a nonprofit, you want to put all the risk back on the donor to value it the way they're going to value it. And it's between them and the IRS and you're not involved. So, so that's one piece of it. And, and, and so what we typically do or what, what most organizations typically do is, is thank them for the item and not put a value on it. So you would say, thank you very much for your donation of a 1977 Chevy Nova, VIN number, blah, 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 exactly. blah, blah, right? Details. Um, yeah, yes. all of the details about exactly what the donation is so that you can identify specifically what it was and the donor can identify specifically what it was and it's then it's between him, his CPA, and the, 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 the IRS. Um, so that's one piece of it. The second piece is where the gift is going from the donor directly to the receiver and you're not doing anything other than providing a tax donation to the, to the donor. That's... You can't do that. So the 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 reason you can't do that is because the donor is then just effectively using you for the tax deduction. If they want to give the if they're selecting, I mean, because here's the here's again the naughty nonprofit scenario, right? I'm going to give my car to my son. Yep. Like I I, I want to give it I want to give him a car. So rather than giving it to him and just like nothing, I'm going to give it to this nonprofit and say, hey, can you give that non that can you give that car to my son or to my business partner's son? or to the principal at my private school's daughter or whatever, you know, <laughs> yeah. right? So, so is, there's going to be some, there's always going to be some potential conflict if, if the donor is, in the, is involved in the process of selecting who the recipient is. There's never, the IRS is never going to allow you to have a tax deduction for that. And as a nonprofit, you want to stay as far away from that um, terrible newspaper yes, story as yes. you possibly oh, can. Because that's, that's just going to, the likelihood that it's going to come back and bite you is, is probably low, but you don't want to be in that situation because that's going to chase away lots and lots and lots of other money. So I think one of the things to think about uh, for the person, I mean, obviously some of this, it, it, I don't, I think we have to be careful in, in kind of the nonprofit sector, right, of reading into any kind of intention. Sometimes donors just don't know they can't do that, right? right? So I think there's a great education process here. There's also an opportunity for your organization to think about these kinds of gifts that aren't straightforward gifts and say, do we have a gift acceptance policy, right? How do we deal with things like someone wanting to give us a vehicle or something that is not like a normal kind of standard donation, right? Cash or check or, you know, not even check because people don't do checks anymore, but credit card, whatever. Um, But yeah, and I think also keeping in mind, like, how do you set those processes so you don't have undue influence from donors about trying to select? It's like the same thing with like a scholarship fund, right? You know, donors who say, I'm going to pick this person to get the scholarship. It's like, okay, there needs to be a selection committee. There needs to be an objective, you know, um, process. And so I think the same thing goes here. So it sounds like, um, yeah, there's a lot of things to be careful with. So, yeah, I think, I mean, it's not impossible. So, so if, if you, as the chair, if you're the nonprofit and you have selected, you know, there's a constituent, somebody that you're working with and they absolutely need a car and you've reached out to a donor or a group of donors and said, we would like somebody to donate a car so that we can give it to one of our constituents. And then the donors responding to you who have made the selection of that person, 
that's totally okay. Right. You just need to make sure that you've documented that entire process so that when somebody comes knocking on your door and says, hey, how did this work? You can say, here was our process that we used. Exactly. If the donor didn't select this individual, they've got no relationship with the individual. We selected the individual and then we solicited a group of donors for, for a car. So, so you can, you know, there's sort of plausible deniability that it was some sort of way for somebody to get a tax deduction. And making sure that donor doesn't give you like a letter that says, or an email that says, yes, here is the donation of this car for XYZ person, right? right. Instead of just here organization, I'm donating my car to you, right? Like that's, right. that's what you want. Keeping that separate, right? That's one process. And then the second process is the selection or giving it. I have a happy hour type fundraiser at a local bar coming up at the end of October. We've never done anything like this before. My fundraising committee told me to just put together something that gives an overview of our small but mighty organization. I had some thoughts about table tents or something else, but I'm not sure what to include. Any thoughts? Oh, I have all sorts of thoughts. So I get, <laughs> I'm such a nerd about this kind of stuff. So I think table tents are a great idea. And I think to bring those to life, maybe you add, you know, you could add a great photo of, of something with your organization or your mission in action and, and keeping them like simple, right? Just a bullet point or two or a question like, did you know? And it sort of is actually a great conversation starter. I love it when I go to events and I've seen this done because if I don't know as many people there, it's a great thing for us to connect to going, wow, did you know that? Like it's, 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 it truly brings out the conversation and then you're talking about the organization. Um, and I think there's a lot of things like, you know, putting your website at the bottom of the table tent, but also what is the takeaway? Cause the table tent, most people aren't going to be walking away with your table tent, hopefully, right. They're not going to take it <laughs> and walk out of the room. That would be um, weird. <laughs> so what is that takeaway for them so that, you know, they have a one pager or something that's like, you know, again, a call to action after they leave your event, right. That they can go to your website or give you a call. Um, and while you're at it, why not put some donation envelopes at the table? Like you have no clue. I mean, it may not, I don't know exactly the format of this and it's a fundraiser, So you may not want to do that, but it can't hurt for people who are just like, okay, I just, it's on my mind now. I'm going to just do something now, or I'm going to go to their website now and make a donation. So I, you know, those are some of the things that come to mind. I just realized I read the question wrong. But it says, I have a happy hour type friend raiser. I don't think I said that. Oh, okay. So it is a friend raiser. It is. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, table tents are great. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of friend raisers, <laughs> just in general. Although happy hour sounds nice. Are you grumpy? <laughs> I'm super grumpy. Like, yeah, maybe uh, drink tickets. And in order to, to get your drink tickets, you need to do something. I don't know. Oh, like put your business. <laughs> hey, no, that's actually not a bad idea. So I'm going to like, I'm going to riff off that, right? Like, but. But seriously, though, someone could be like, you get a drink ticket if you give us your business card or something like, because again, you're trying to use this. The drink ticket is inside a donation oh. envelope. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Look at us getting really like fancy now. So um, yeah, totally. I think and it's a fun challenge. It is a fun challenge. And I also think that um, making sure your board members and staff that are there, if they can have some kind of name tag that denotes them, that's great too. You know, denotes that they're, you know, in, in part of your organization because, um, that also helps people just kind of connect more. And, and perhaps if they do have questions or want to get involved, they know who, you're connected to the organization, right? You're a volunteer, you're yeah. a staff member. Staff and, yeah, staff and board members absolutely need to be there and need to be well identified. And they need to know what their responsibility is, too, is to just sort of wander around and have conversations with people and try to bring it back to the organization. Yeah, and not stand in a cluster in a corner gossiping because... Ugh, ugh, don't do that. Don't do that. 
thanks for joining us, everybody. We have, um, we're, we're happy to do this. We're really thankful to the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits, which makes this possible. Um, we really love your questions. If you've listened this far and you got to the end of it, maybe there was something that we talked about today that made you think, hey, I wonder about just just get that to us somehow, because the questions that you guys send in are the reasons that Stacy and I come back and do this every couple of weeks. Um, we love answering the questions. We love doing the research to try to figure out how to answer the questions appropriately. We love tracking down experts to answer questions that we don't know the answer to. Um, so please keep them coming. We really need them. And um, if you found this interesting at all, share it, um, send it to people, say, hey, have you listened to um, the Nonprofit Everything podcast? Um, if you didn't like it, uh, let us know that too. <laughs> Give us a, let us know, see what we can change. And we were, we're always looking to try to make this more interesting and more useful for the people who listen. So please, we're, please do that. We're all about improvements. So send it on you guys. Mm-hmm.